Matthew 28, 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Father, we thank you for sending your son, for making a way where there was no way. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us, for taking our sins upon you. And for three days, rising from the dead. That's something to celebrate. Let's sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is alive. Death has lost its victory, and the grave has been denied. Jesus lives forever. He's alive. He's alive. He's the Alpha. He's the Alpha and Omega. The first and last is He. The curse of sin is broken. In this season, I thank you 
that as you walked me through last night, the emotions of what they must have experienced on that faithful day and that Sabbath day after your crucifixion, I mourned. I wept with tears of sorrow. But this morning, Father, when I rose, I rose with great joy in my heart, for I was reminded, Lord, that you are risen. And so we thank you so much, Lord, for sacrificing your son, for defeating death on the cross, and drawing us into yourself. So, Father, I open this word today. I thank you for the anointing of the worship. I thank you, Father, for the hands and the anointing of those who put all of this together today. Those who cannot be seen on screen today, who are working so diligently behind the scenes. I thank you for them, Father. We praise you. We lift you up. And the people of God say, Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Derek. I appreciate you so much. Well, I just want to thank you and welcome all of you. So for my nine people that are in attendance today, praise God. We didn't didn't exceed our limit today. Those of you who are at home watching, we stayed under the required limit for services. I just want to thank you guys for joining us today for this amazing Resurrection Sunday service. He has risen. Amen. Before I get started, a couple really quick um, housekeeping uh, things that I want to mention. Since today is kind of our inaugural Sunday service live stream message, just a few things that I want to mention. Uh, if you are watching today and you are enjoying this service so far, if, if and I pray that you will be blessed by this message, we just ask that you um, like our Facebook page, our Emmanuel Facebook page. If you're on YouTube today, I, I would just ask that you subscribe to our YouTube channel for a couple of reasons. One, um, as the, the next weeks and months go on, we're going to be loading new content uh, new services, new studies, and things, devotionals, and things that we hope will bless you. And that'll be pushed right out to you if you are subscribed or you like our page. If you don't know how to do that, please ask your child or your grandchild. They'll be happy to help you. Okay. I don't know about you guys, but um, my, my hair and my grass have a couple things, a few things in common right now. Uh, they uh, are both wild out of control and need some maintenance in a really bad way. You know, the, uh, I, I think that, um, uh, barbershops and beauty salon should be critical and essential services today. I might have to go see, uh, Sean Renee's daughter for a quarantine haircut here, uh, this coming week. So, um, listen, it's really hard with, with this uh, isolation, this quarantine that we're under. Um, it's really tough out here. I mean, Rosa had to shave my neck last night before coming in here today. It's really, really hard. And some of you gentlemen understand what I mean when I say that. Thank you for letting me be a little playful with you this morning. Thank you for allowing me to joke with you a little bit. You know, I, I enjoy 
having fun in the Lord. I, I enjoy so much laughing at myself and making fun of myself. You guys know, I think medicine is a great, la- uh, uh, or laughter rather, is a great medicine for us. And so uh, I think we could use a little bit of laughter these days. So thank you for smiling and chuckling and laughing at me. You're not laughing with me. It's okay. But um, I'm sure this week I'll probably get some memes or I'll probably get tagged in some things on Facebook about Harry next, and that's okay. You, Emmanuel family, you guys do so well with helping to keep me informed with these memes and whatnot. So thank you. Um, but on a more serious note, you know, the, the isolation that we have been forced into for the last couple of weeks has been hard for a lot of us. Um, it has, uh, for many of us, this isolation has actually meant a loss of employment. Uh, for some of us, it's meant uh, the cutting of our hours at work and a shortage in our paychecks. For some of us, we're forced to homeschool our children. Some of us have multiple children in the home that are in school that are battling for the same piece of equipment, the same piece of technology so they can do their schoolwork. Some of us are being required to homeschool our children while we're trying to work from home. And it's been really, really difficult. It seems like that the unemployment rate is just skyrocketing while the market seems to be rebounding. But yet our savings, our life savings, seem to be evaporating right before our very eyes. There doesn't appear to be any hope on the horizon. If anything, it seems like life as we know it is about to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. Some of you right now, this very moment, those of you streaming and watching online, uh, are facing down the barrel of your darkest hour. Some of you, it may be financial. For some of you, it's mental. Some of you, it's spiritual. And for some of you, it's emotional. You are having to face head on your problems, these issues and challenges that before you were just ignoring. That you were able to ignore and dismiss because you were able to fill it or dismiss it because of the busyness of life. But now that everything has nearly slowed to a screeching halt, you are now forced to deal with these issues that you could previously ignore. And to be honest, many of us don't have the skills, the tools, or the resources to successfully tackle those issues. If we can be transparent for a moment. And then sometimes my, myself, we're feeling afraid. We're lost. We are isolated both literally and figuratively, and we just don't know what to do. Now, I want to be very, very clear about something. Um, I am not just speaking to those who do not have a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. I am speaking to those of you who are watching, those in this room who do. Here's the difference. The ones, my unbelieving friends, and I have many of them, as we all should, My unbelieving friends are very willing and open to acknowledging what I just mentioned. But here's the catch. So many of my Christian friends won't. 
They won't acknowledge the struggles and the issues that they're going, the storms that they're enduring. They won't acknowledge it. You think out there that you're a bad Christian if you acknowledge any of the aforementioned. And beloved, it is so far from the truth of the revealed word of God. Jesus never, not once, did he ever promise us a life free of trouble and challenges. And anyone who tries to tell you that that's what the Bible says is preaching to you a diluted, a watered-down gospel. That is not the word of God. And let me prove it to you. John recounts in the 16th chapter of his gospel, Jesus' words in verse 20 when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Verse 33, he goes on, verse 33b, the second part of 33. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, today is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And today, I want to give you a message that I think might be a little unorthodox. Because today, I want to challenge you. Today, I don't just want you to leave this place. I don't want you to to disconnect from this live stream and just say, oh, that was a nice message. Oh, that, that was great. Thank you for reminding me of the cross. No, I want so much more than that, beloved. Today, I want a call to action. Today, I want to give you a message that I pray will challenge you, that will stir up your soul, and that will call, call you to faith and perseverance in the Word of God. So the question that I challenge you with today, and this is the title of our sermon, How Will You Respond? You know, as I've been studying this last few weeks, uh, and as I've been just diving into the, to, to the gospel of Mark, which is where we're going to be today, um, it's actually become now my favorite gospel. For a long time, John, and for many of us, the gospel of John is our favorite gospel, and it was mine for so long. John is full of great theology. John, from the very beginning, he gets straight to the point. He describes Jesus in his deity. There was so much Christology in the gospel of John, and it's beautiful. But Mark, Mark is full of suspense and drama. Mark gets right to the point. For 14 chapters in Mark, he is racing to the cross. For 14 chapters, he is racing to the resurrection of Jesus. Mark starts his gospel. He dispenses with the narrative of his birth story. He dispenses with everything before the inauguration of his ministry. And he starts in verse 1 with telling us of his baptism. He tells us of healing. He tells us of people being delivered from demons, etc., etc. He gets to the point right away and he's racing to the cross. In in chapter 15, where we see in Mark's gospel, his resurrection, the passion of Jesus. And in verse 16, which is where we're going to be today, he is racing to the resurrection. So let's go there. If you have your Bibles open or if you you have them with you, let's open our Bibles. Those of you at home, uh, I'm going to be reading from um, the English Standard Version, but whatever you have is just fine. It will get us to the same place. 
We're going to open our text to Mark chapter 16, the final chapter. We're going to read eight verses today. We're going to read one through eight. Again, whatever you have is just fine. We're going to be displaying the text on the screen for you at home, and you can follow along. Again, reading from the Gospel of Mark, according to Mark in chapter 16, verse 1 through 8. And it reads, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Don't be afraid, or rather, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Thank you, Lord, for the reading and the revelation of your word. Father, I pray that as we examine your texts, you impart upon us your amazing truth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I challenge you with the question. I said, how will you respond? Now, if you will give me some time today, I will get you to the place where we're going to answer that question. But I want to look in the text for great illustration and example of how they handled and how they responded to this event that we're going to examine. Let's look at verse 1. 16 verse 1. This is what I call, as I examine the text, this is the prep. It says, when the Sabbath was passed. Now, I want to stop right there for a moment, and because I want to give you the context here. The literary context is important. When the Sabbath was passed. I want you to put yourself if you will, if you'll close your eyes, if you'll travel with me to ancient Jerusalem, and I want you to just put yourself in the place of these women that was just that were just named in this text. And I want you to think of what they had just endured. The text says, when the Sabbath was over, or after the Sabbath, which means that it's now 6 p.m. or after 6 p.m. on Saturday evening, it's now 24 hours or so after the passion, after the death of their Lord, of their Messiah, after the death of this man, God, who just walked with them for three and a half years, who they saw perform miracles and wonders. This is a man that they saw beaten so badly, they are traumatized and they don't know what to do. They're probably still really, really numb from the trauma that they've experienced. And so now, it is Saturday evening. These ladies are now prepping. They're now preparing for tomorrow. They don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. 
but they're preparing to go. It says that they bought spices for him. Now, they went out after the the Sabbath was over to purchase these spices to go and honor the body of Jesus. Why? Because they thought he was going to be dead when they found him. They were going to give him great honor, and they weren't going to preserve his body in any way, as was Egyptian custom. They were going to simply spread these spices to damper the smell of decay, the stench of decay, so they might go and anoint him. So this is the prep. And beloved, where's the connection for us? You see, when we experience the trauma, when we experience the hurt and the uncertainty that we're experiencing in life, sometimes we begin to prep. We begin to do things in our life that are well-intentioned, but we're missing it. The Bible tells us that in Isaiah 52, 14, and, I, and I'm, I'm giving you this illustration because I, I need you to really, really understand well what these ladies experienced. Isaiah 52, 14 tells us that his face was marred and disfigured so badly you could not recognize him even as a man. I want you to let that sit for a moment. I want you to think about how badly they beat and tortured our Lord Jesus and what these women experienced. It was life-changing and traumatic. And some of us are experiencing right now some life-changing and traumatic events. And we're well-intentioned and we're preparing, but we're missing it. And so let's go to the next couple verses. This is what I call the journey So in 16, verse 2 and 3, the ladies, the very next morning, the Bible says, very early on the first day of the week, guys, now it's Sunday. It is today, a couple thousand years ago. It says that they woke up, and, and some of the Gospels are slightly different in their interpretation. Some say after the sun had risen. Some say as the sun was risen. Whether the sun was over the horizon or not is absolutely irrelevant. The point that I think they're trying to illustrate is that these ladies, after experiencing that trauma, we're now 36 hours post-death, and it is still so, so real. I don't know about you, but I probably would not have been able to sleep that Saturday night into Sunday. They were up before the crack of dawn, ready to head to the temple. They embarked on a journey that day. And they went to the tomb. They went running to the tomb. And in verse 3, it says something interesting. I was actually a little astonished by this question as I examined the text. They actually said to one another, after they were already on the road, they said, hey, ladies, who's going to roll the stone away from us when we get there? This is the setup. See, when God puts us on a journey, when he sets us on a path, especially in the midst of our difficulties, and so many of us are going through it right now in our difficulties, and we're preparing in a way that we think is appropriate, and we're preparing for the journey that God is sending us on in the midst of this struggle and these situations, and and, and we're so well-intentioned, and God places us on this journey, but the journey is the setup. 
And watch this. The text says that they were on their way. They could have asked before they left. They could have asked any of the eleven to help them with the stone. Come along with us, Peter, and help us roll away the stone. Come along with us, such and such, you name it. Come and help us roll away the stone. But they didn't. You see, from Mark's perspective in this gospel, what Mark is trying to show us here in the text, that this is a setup for the drama of what they would find next. This was a setup, because remember, they, they... They were thinking they were going to find him dead. And so this journey was a setup to what they would find, the empty tomb. They weren't expecting the resurrection, which is really, really odd because Jesus spoke of his resurrection over and over again. But they didn't really think it was going to happen. And while they were on their journey, just like as we are on our way, on our journey, guys, listen, we find ourselves, for those of you who don't yet know Jesus, who are watching this today, you might be on your journey to the cross. Some of you might be at the foot of the cross right now. So many of you have already picked up your cross and are carrying it with Christ. But sometimes we forget the promise that we were made while we were on the journey. We forget the promise of God, but thank goodness we have a God that will use your forgetfulness to help bring you to discovery. And that's my next point. Let's look at the next scripture today. The discovery in Mark chapter 16, verse 4. It's very short and there aren't many words in verse 4, but watch this. The ladies are approaching the tomb. Now, I don't know about you. I've been to a few funerals in my time, and nobody goes to a funeral with tambourines and singing and praise. No one goes to a funeral that way. No one goes to visit a loved one and a family member at their grave singing praises. But what we do is we'll go to the grave with our hearts hung low and our heads down in mourning and in sorrow. Again, I just described to you earlier what these women had experienced and the trauma of the imagery that they had seen. And they're coming to the tomb full of sorrow and grief. But the text in verse 4 says, And looking up, There was a discovery. As they approached the tomb, they looked up, and there was a discovery. They saw that the stone had been rolled away. And there was something odd at the end of the text. The text seems out of place because the text says then seemingly out of nowhere, and it seems out of place. It says, it was very large. What do I want to tell you about the discovery? So many of you today think that as you're on your journey, as you've prepped, you're you're walking out your journey and you're in your time of difficulty, there is an obstacle before you as there is an obstacle before these ladies. It was in their mind as they were approaching the tomb. They knew that there was going to be an obstacle in place. But watch this. The Lord works in miracles despite the obstacles in your life. 
See, because the resurrection had already happened. God did not need to roll away the stone for the resurrection to happen. Jesus could move through walls and objects with ease. Just read the later accounts in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Jesus appeared in rooms and disappeared like that. The stone did not have to be rolled away for the resurrection to happen. God simply rolled away the stone so that they knew that they could see the miracle of God. But they didn't, God didn't have to roll away the stone. And he doesn't have to roll away the obstacle or the stone in your life that you're experiencing today. Because the miracle can happen with the obstacle in place. But praise God that he'll move it so that you can see it. He'll move it so that you can see it. Because sometimes God is working a miracle in the midst of the the enormous, the very large stone or obstacle in our path. You fill in the blank, whatever that very large whatever is. And we're missing the miracle that God is performing for us. And so God sometimes has to move it out of the way so you can see it. So you can get past it and have the perspective of the miracle that he performed. And then something happens. Mary sees the stone rolled away. She isn't quite sure what's going on. She's actually now more upset because she's like, someone broke into the tomb of our Lord and then something happens. It says that they saw an angel of the Lord. And the, the word that jumped out of me in the text as I, as I studied this, it says that they were alarmed. Now, when we read that word, I don't think we quite grasp the intensity of the word, the intended uh, intensity of the Greek word for this. And I'll spare you the Greek word because my Greek isn't that great. Praise God, it's getting better. <laughs> but in the Greek, it, it indicates, and this, this same Greek word for alarmed was used uh, to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But this word is used to describe an emotional, an intense emotional state. That has been brought on by something that caused them to be very surprised or perplexed. Now as we read this, I I think it's kind of a no-brainer, right? You see an angel, you're going to be very surprised. It's funny, Rose and I were talking about that last night. As we watched the Jesus play from Sight and Sound and how the angel came. And I said, honey, how would you feel if you saw an angel of God? You would fall to your face in fear. So as readers of the text... This is a no-brainer moment. See, she's standing before an angel of God. She's alarmed. But what I love about the scripture is there are often numerous cases in scripture where when the angel of the Lord presents himself and the person reacts in fear, the angel gives a word of encouragement, not fear. If you need the reference, go to Genesis 21, 17, Judges 6, 23, Matthew 1, 20. Take a look at those references and you will see an angel bringing a word of encouragement. Now watch this in verse 6. And I'm going to bring it home for you guys. In verse 6, let me paraphrase this because I think it will make more sense. Mary is now alive. 
alarm. She's full of this intense emotion that she's experiencing. This is the announcement. Pay attention. She's experiencing this, and all the ladies are experiencing this tense emotion. They're seeing the angel of the Lord, and the angel goes, hey, 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 calm down. It's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. He says, you're seeking Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified. And then there's a period in the text you know, as I read this and I wrote in my notes, duh. I read that in my notes like this is a, if I were Mary, I'm like, duh. Of course I'm looking for Jesus. I'm here at his tomb. This is a duh kind of moment. But, but wait, the angel says, you're looking for Jesus. And I love how it wasn't just any Jesus. He said, you're looking for Jesus, the one who was crucified. Wait, wait, I, I missed a part. He says, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified. It was very specific. It wasn't just any old ordinary Jesus, beloved, because we are out here in the world and we're looking for Jesus. Every single one of us, whether you will acknowledge it and admit it if you're not a believer or if you're someone who is after Christ. We are looking for Jesus, but we're looking for the wrong Jesus. So many of us are looking for a buddy, Jesus. Some of us are looking for a party, Jesus. Some of us are looking for a Jesus to just encourage our bad behavior. We're looking for a different kind of Jesus. But the angel was very clear with his announcement. He says, no, no, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. You are looking for the one who was crucified. Well, I have news for you. Here's the announcement. He has risen. Praise God. He is risen. And he says, listen, ladies, let me show you. He's not here. Look at the place where they laid him. He is risen. I got to tell you, we're looking for Jesus. Every single one of us. Every human being on the face of this earth right now, this very moment, even if you don't know him, even if you are running from him, we are seeking Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who died on the cross. Why do I know that? Because in all of our hearts, there is a void. There is a space that simply cannot be filled because it was the place that was torn out of us in the separation at the garden that only Jesus Christ can fill. There was an announcement that was made. And so he says, I've told you now that he's not here, and here's the command. He says, go, and this is, my, this is what I share with you today. He says, go. You have found Jesus. You know he's no longer here. He is risen. Now go. I want every single one of you in this room. I want all of you online. You have heard the announcement of the risen Jesus. He is not in the grave. So go. Tell everybody you know that he is risen. Tell everyone you know that he has gone before you just as he said he would. What's the angel talking about? The angel is reminding them of the promise. The angel is reminding them of what Jesus said in Matthew 14, 23, when he says, after I have risen, I will go before you to Galilee. The angel is reminding them of the promise in the journey. Why? Because like us, 
they forgot. It was just a few nights ago, and they forgot. Maybe you've forgotten the promise that God has made in your life. And I'm here to remind you today that He hasn't forgotten. He has not left you. He has not forgotten, but He is risen, and He has gone before you, just as He said He would. And I'm sorry, correction, it's Matthew 14, 28, not 23. Now's the response. And we're almost done here, and I appreciate your patience and letting me get you to this place. Now, we're in Matthew 16, 8, where it says, and I'll, I'll read the text over again for you. It says, and they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. In many of your texts, the Gospel of Mark ends right here. For some of you, you may have verses 9 9 through 20. Now, I don't want to get into the scholarship of the lost text, and that's really not the point. Um, But I do believe that Mark intentionally ended the gospel in verse 8. And it seems rather odd that he would end his gospel in a place where they were fearful and they were trembling and they were afraid and that they didn't speak. But let me help you understand the positive nature in which I think Mark is presenting this text for us today. Mark left this intentionally. He left us hanging. Remember, Mark is a a, a gospel full of drama and suspense and other cliffhangers. It's not a surprise that Mark would leave us here. And so we read here that he, I believe that he wants to show us in this text that the reader, us, you and me, just like these women, we very much fail to respond the way we should respond to the announcement of the resurrection. Paul, or rather Mark again ends this text in a positive light. He's challenging you and me today to respond not in fear, but to respond in faith, to respond to the announcement of the resurrection by giving us an implicit call to discipleship. The announcement of the resurrection here in the text leaves the ladies absolutely awestruck. It leaves them completely confused. Mark is asking us this. How will you and you and you, how will you respond to the announcement of the resurrection. You see, I I firmly believe that Mark closed his gospel this way, intending for us to put ourselves in their position, because this is exactly where we find ourselves today. We find ourselves like these ladies, confused and uncertain about tomorrow. But will we persevere? This is a call to faith, and perseverance in this text. How will you respond to the announcement? Like these women, we find ourselves in this place, and many of us will claim, we will claim, so many of you with good intentions, you will claim to believe in your heart that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God and man, that He died for our sins on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. You will proclaim that with great faith. So I ask you, why is the church not experiencing growth and victory and power? Why is persecution in the church growing ever more intense? Why 
are people of the faith abandoning that which they once believed. See, it's in the face of these challenges and so many more that we're facing today that we can experience what Mark is telling us to do. We can experience that Mark is asking us to respond to the announcement of the resurrection by keeping our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus and the cross. See, when Jesus was agonizing in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Father, it's not what I want. It's what you want. When he was betrayed and left by his disciples, and he was taken before the Sanhedrin and accused of blasphemy, Jesus maintained his faith. Jesus knew. He stood in those moments of hardship and even at the cross as he took his last breath and he said it was finished. He endured to the very end because he was absolutely certain of the vindication that the Father would bring him in the end. And that's what I call you to today as we close this message. The announcement of the resurrection should call us to faith and call us to perseverance. I'll read you one final scripture as we close and we begin to prepare for communion. Hebrews 12, the second part of verse 1 and the first part of verse 2 of Hebrews 12 says, Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And so I close today asking you, challenging you today to respond to the announcement of the resurrection with faith and perseverance, knowing that God will vindicate you in the end. I want to thank you for allowing me to impart that word into your life.
by his nail-pierced hands we're free by his blood we're washed clean now we have the victory the power of sin is broken Jesus overcame it all
Is ready. 